You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. I love the local church. And I had the privilege for nearly 25 years to serve as a local church pastor. One of, the, one of the blessings about being a part of the church for a long time, of course, is enduring friendship and relationship. And so, Keith and Gina, it's so wonderful to spend this weekend with you and your people. These two are some of the best people I know. And so, it's just such a privilege to be here. And I'm really grateful for this opportunity I have to serve as the district superintendent of Alliance Churches in BC and the Yukon. I continue to believe that Jesus is the only hope for the world. I believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. He's the only one who heals and forgives and saves and restores. And every week, we gather together in a place just like this to remember these truths, to internalize them so that we can go out to our neighborhoods and proclaim them with our words and our deeds. I love getting to know people. I love discovering what people like, what they're passionate about, or what areas of expertise they might have. You here today might not consider yourself to be a true expert in any one thing, but I suspect there's at least one area in which you know an awful lot. At the very least, you know an awful lot more about this area than I do. So a geologist, as most of you know, is an expert when it comes up to the materials that that form the material world. Often they know a lot about rocks and rock rock formations. A botanist is an expert when it comes to the study of plants. An ophthalmologist has expertise to treat eye conditions medically and surgically. Now, what I've done this morning is I've created a bit of a pop quiz for all of you to see how much you know about what other experts know. So if your brain is still in sleep mode, flip the switch. We're going to do an anonymous pop quiz. You don't have to put your hand up, but let's see just how much you know. So on the screen behind me, an expert in making new shoes from new leather is called A, a cobbler, B, a podiatrist, or C, a cord wainer. Now, keep your answer to yourself. The answer is C, a cord wainer. Just any of you get that right? Okay, not many. Second question, a wine expert who can pair your meal with the perfect bottle of wine is called a sommelier. In this area of the world, you know all about these things. What is a beer expert called? A, a vinter, B, a Cicerone, or C, a Cafelier? The answer is B, Cicerone. Anyone get that right? Okay, a few of you beer drinkers out there. That's good. (laughs) Keith, are you taking notes? Okay. Yeah, okay. Number three, a person who is an expert in aging cheese is known as A, a cheesemaker, B, an affineur, or C, a cheesemonger. The answer is B. Anyone get it right? A few of you? Okay. Very cultured people here, Keith. <laughs> last, last question. A person who is an expert in the subject of bees 
is called A, 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 a melatologist, B, an entomologist, or C, an apiarist. How many of you guess C? You're wrong. Now, an apiarist is a beekeeper, but an expert in the subject of bees is actually a, a melatologist. Now, if it makes any of you feel better, when I was researching this, I would have gone zero for four. So don't, don't feel bad this morning. I've begun my sermon in the way I have to get us thinking about what we know and what we don't. All of us have expertise in particular areas in life, but in other areas, we're almost operating blindly. We don't know very much at all. And so, in which areas of your life do you know enough to be confident to make significant decisions? And in which areas of your life do you know just enough to be dangerous to yourself and to the people around you? What do you wish you knew? In the realm of Christian theology, there are a trio of subjects that are affectionately referred to as the omnis. We talk about God being omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. We talk about God being omnipresent, which means God is, is everywhere. And the third is that God is omniscient, which means God knows everything. And in keeping with your summer series at Mission Creek, I want to talk about something that, from my perspective, is worthy of singing about, worthy of praising God for, and this is his omniscience. The fact that God knows everything about everyone and everything is good news for all of us, and I trust that by the time I'm done, you're going to join me in praising God for this attribute. And so what I want to do is I want to offer a definition of omniscience, then I want to offer to you a brief theological explanation of what this means, and then we're going to get to implications. What does it mean for our lives that God knows everything about everyone and everything? So first, the definition. When we speak of God's omniscience, what we are saying is that God's knowledge is infinite, it's comprehensive, and complete on every subject. God knows everything that was, is, and will ever be. That's the definition. Here's the explanation. Good Christian theology is never a matter of thinking deep thoughts about God and then writing it down. Instead, Good theology begins by reflecting deeply on what God has already revealed about himself in the scripture. So, what is it that God says about himself concerning his knowledge? In Psalm 147, verses 4 through 5, we read, He, God, determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. It's astounding if you pause to think about it. Astronomers estimate that there are 100,000 million stars in our galaxy alone, and astronomers believe that there are millions of galaxies, and God calls each one by name. Now, I grew up in a family of three boys, and when we got rambunctious and fighting, my mom would sometimes struggle to call us by the correct name. Scott, Chris, Mark, I mean, stop it. God, by comparison, knows every star, hundreds of thousands of millions. In Matthew 10, verse 29, we read that God is familiar with every sparrow in the entire world. Not one drops to the ground without him knowing it. Similarly, 
Jesus said that God the Father keeps track of every hair on our head, whether we have many or few. In Hebrews 4, verse 13, we read, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God has access to every place and to every person in every moment for all of time. Nothing escapes his attention because God is simultaneously present everywhere. Let me give you a bit of an analogy. Think for a moment about watching a parade. Have any of you ever seen a parade before? Okay, I want you to imagine that the biggest parade came to Kelowna. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people lining a, a main street. So even if you were standing in the front line on the edge of the parade, your sight would be limited. You would see portions of what's right in front of you and maybe portions of what was coming next and what had passed beyond. But there's so much you wouldn't be available to see because you're stuck in one place on the route. Now, to stick with this analogy, God is simultaneously present at every point along the entire route. No one's tall enough to block his line of sight. No one is distracting enough to cause God's inattention. He observes and knows every detail simultaneously. One theologian writes, God is aware of what's happening, has happened, and will happen at each point in time. Now, I said earlier that God's knowledge is infinite it's co and comprehensive, but I also want to say that God's knowledge is immediate. What I mean is that unlike human beings, God's knowledge base never has to grow. He doesn't have to learn anything. His comprehensive knowledge is immediate. He knows everything, and he always has. Millard Erickson writes, God's deliberation, decision-making, takes no time. He has from all eternity determined what he is now doing. Thus, his actions are not in any sense reactions to developments. He does not get taken by surprise or have to formulate contingency plans. In Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, God spoke to the prophet saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. In Revelation 13, for, uh, 13 verse 8, we read that before the world was created, God the Son knew that he would become human and that he would die on the cross. Ephesians 1 verses 4 and 5 says that before the foundation of the world, God chose you, every single one of you, he chose you in Christ to be adopted into his family. Now think for a moment about the difference between God's knowledge and our own. Every day we are forced to make decisions without knowing all of the facts. So, for example, anyone who decided to buy a restaurant or an event planning company in December of 2019 would now look back on that decision and say it was unwise. But how could any of us known that there was going to be a global pandemic coming our way? We are constantly coming up against limited information as human beings, but not just limited information, limited understanding as well. We may have all the information we need to make a good decision, but if we have a skewed perspective, we'll read the data all wrong. But this could never be said about God. 
God never has to wait until all the information comes in. He doesn't delay a decision because he can't make sense of the situation. God never makes a decision and then second guesses what he decided. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, we read, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Because God knows everyone and everything, we can trust him. Right now, perhaps, you're praying about something, a matter that's really close to your heart, and you're asking God to do something that would appear to you to be right, good, timely, and to do it now. But in the end, people of God, all of us are invited to trust that God knows everything and that he will do what is in the best interests of everyone. I've made you raise your hands a lot. This will be the last time, I promise. But I wonder, how many of you know someone in your life that, that you might describe as a bit of a know-it-all? Any of you know a person like that? Yeah. I mean, you know the type. They think they know everything about everything. And so you may be in a conversation with a group of friends and the know-it-all comes and, and inserts themselves and they feel the need to butt in and correct you and your friends about every last detail. A know-it-all delights to demonstrate just how much they know. But in fact, what they're really doing is just demonstrating that they know more than you. And so a know-it-all is perfect for a game show like Jeopardy, but when they're a part of our lives, they're just plain annoying, aren't they? No one likes to know-it-all. Although God really does know it all, his knowledge is not meant to make us feel small or insignificant. God's knowledge is more than simply comprehensive. It's personal. He doesn't just know stuff. He knows you completely. He knows us completely, and he loves us comprehensively. We were singing about it just moments ago. At this time, if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 139, verses 1 to 6. It's a really familiar psalm. Now, it's difficult conceptually for people with limited brains to wrap their minds around the all-knowingness of God. I can't fathom infinite knowledge. The idea that God could name 100,000 million stars is utterly behind me, and I, I suspect it was beyond the psalm writer too. And so David turned to the subject he knew best himself, and he reflected on the depths of God's personal knowledge of him. Reading now, beginning in verse 1. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I see me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar, you discern my going out and my lying down, you're familiar with all of my ways. Before a, a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Surely such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So here in Psalm 139, David's reflection on God's omniscience doesn't lead to a kind of theological treatise. His reflect, reflection is packaged in praise. This God who knows everything, who has the capacity to name 100,000 million stars, has intimate, comprehensive knowledge about you. Now think about that. God is interested in you. 
What does that say about God? And what does that say about you? It means that God must love us immensely. It means that we must be of tremendous value to him. These first six verses of Psalm 139 sound a note of awe. David is not frightened that God knows everything about him. He celebrates it. Later on in verses 13 to 16, we, we, we discover that God knows us completely because he was the one who brought our lives into being. Verse 16 says, your eyes saw my unformed body. One author translates it in the following way. Your eyes saw me as an embryo. From the beginning, it was God's genesis. You were. Now in verses two through four, David spells out the comprehensive nature of God's knowledge. He knows what we're doing, whether we're sitting or lying or rising or going out or coming back. He knows what we're thinking. He knows our whereabouts, whether we're at home or school or at the coffee shop. God knows what we're gonna say before we say it. Even before we know what we're gonna say, God knows. David also includes what appears to be a bit of a catch-all phrase. He says, you are familiar with all of my ways. Almost exactly 10 years ago, summer of 2012, my wife and I, Naomi and I, we bought ourselves a 2010 Dodge Caravan. It was only two years old. It had, it had limited kilometers. It was perfect for our family, and there wasn't a scratch on it. And so shortly after buying our van, we packed, packed up the van, the kids and our stuff, and we made our way out to a Soyuz. We're staying at a, at a resort there that had an underground parkade. We parked in the parkade. We were enjoying the beach and the facility. It was fa fantastic. One afternoon, we decided we were going to jump in our van and drive to the Dairy Queen, and we were going to get some ice cream. And so we went downstairs. We got into the van. I was in the driver's seat, Naomi beside me, kids in the back. I checked behind me. Coast was clear. I put it in reverse, and I started to back out. And as I backed up, I heard this horrible, loud, scraping sound as quickly as I could, obviously, I, I put on the brake, but the damage had already been done. The whole length of the van had been scraped by one of the cement pillars. I was, I was too close. And as soon as I stopped the car, the scraping sound stopped. And immediately, my kids began to pepper me with questions. Dad, what happened? What was that sound? Did you wreck the car? And my dear, sweet wife, Naomi, turned to the kids and said, kids, Let's just be quiet and give your dad a moment. <laughs> My wife knows me so well. It was exactly what I needed. I was so furious with myself, and she knew that I needed a few moments just to compose myself, contain my anger before I got out and saw all the damage I'd caused to our brand new van. Now, here's the thing. The longer we are married, the more familiar Naomi is with all of my ways, but by comparison, God knows and sees everything about me. He knows my words before I speak them. He knows my desires before I can articulate them. He knows the motives behind every action or word I offer. Verse five, you hem me in before and behind. This phrase or this, the, the verb in this phrase can actually mean to protect. So God has a protecting function, but it can also mean to restrict. And it's likely that both meanings are intended. The God who knows us perfectly at times protects us from doing things we ought not, not to do. And there's times where we need that protection from others 
there's times where we need that protection from ourselves. This section that I've read for you today concludes with David's confession of praise. Your comprehensive knowledge, God, of me, it's unexpected, and it's more wonderful than I could imagine. In these last few minutes, what I want to do is I want to explore three personal implications of God's omniscience. If God's knowledge of us and everything else is infinite, it's comprehensive and complete, then one, God knows our hurts, every single one. So God knows all about the boy who bullied me in grade five, who shoved me around, who put me in a headlock in front of the whole elementary class. He knows. He knows how crushed I was when my girlfriend rejected me for another. He knows the anger I have felt when I've been unjustly accused and slanders. He knows those people who have taken advantage of me, who have lied to me, who have cheated me. He knows. He knows. In Genesis 16, a very dark and complicated chapter in Abraham's story is told. In it, we're, we're told that Abraham and his wife Sarah are, are wanting to conceive, but they're unable to have children. And so in keeping with the custom of the day, Sarah urged Abraham to take her servant, Hagar, to marry her and to have a child through her so that the family would have an heir to pass on their inheritance. But when Hagar became pregnant, as you can imagine, she felt used and she began to resent Sarah, and Sarah was completely jealous, and so she began to despise Hagar and to mistreat her, so much so that we're told that Hagar ran away into the desert. And there in the desert, an angel of the Lord met Hagar beside a spring, and the angel told her that God had heard her misery and that her son would be the first of a numerous and powerful family line. Reading now from verse 13, Hagar gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees me. Brothers and sisters, God sees you. Debbie Wilson writes, God's omniscience means I can be real. We don't have to pretend with him. We don't have to clean up our thoughts and emotions before we approach him. He already knows everything. God understands why we're upset. He knows the roots of our insecurities, disappointments, and our needs. He can handle our doubts, fears, and critical thoughts. God the Son became human so that he could know the hurts of humanity firsthand so that he could bear them and put them to death on the cross. Jesus is the one who sees and knows and cares and provides. He's the one who can heal and restore. Second, God not only knows our hurts, he knows our sins. God knows our hidden rebellion, all of it. He knows our secret sin. He knows the places where we're bitter, where we are or have refused to forgive. He knows when we say one thing, but we do something else. He sees our pride, our greed, our anger. He knows. Wilson writes, when we sin, the accuser, the evil one, whispers, you call yourself a Christian? You don't belong in God's family. But God's omniscience means that he knew everything about us before we were born. 
He knew all of the ways that we'd mess up before he chose us to be a part of his forever family. God knew what he was doing and what he was getting when he called you. What this means is none of us have to hide, not with God, not ever. He's the God of mercy and grace and forgiveness. He redeems, he transforms, he restores. Third, God has a purpose for you. As I've been saying all morning, God has perfect knowledge of you. He's familiar with all of your ways. He knows your personality, your likes and dislikes, what you're good at, what you struggle with. He knows your story, your personal story, inside and out. But his knowledge isn't limited simply to you. He knows everything. He knows history inside out, where it's been, where it's going, and how your life fits into his comprehensive plan. Now, often we're prone to one of two errors. Either we think of ourselves as so much more important than we actually are, as though we are the center point around which everything else must and should rotate, or we think of ourselves as nobodies, living a life without consequence, a mere blip on the radar of history. Both errors profoundly affect the way that we live. Because God made you, your life matters. God made you to love, to serve, to influence. Now, obviously, we don't all have the same calling in life, and we won't all have the same scope of influence, but we're not meant to waste our life worrying about any of that. Whether our influence is narrow or broad, God has a purpose for you and for me. The fact that God knows your story inside out and knows everything else, past, present, and future, the fact that he's all-powerful and always present means that he can guide you, he can shape you, he can use you. It means that it's never too late for any of us to learn, to grow, to change. It means that God can restore the moments or the years that we've wasted in our life. It means that God can restore all of the things that other people have taken from us. The question is, will we trust that he knows and surrender our lives to him? I'm going to invite Daniel and the team to come on up. They're going to lead us in a final song as they come. Would you bow your heads with me as I pray? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the fact that you know everything about everything, that you know everything about me and all of us, this is wonderful. We don't have to pretend with you, not ever. You have no delusions about us because you knew what you were getting when you created, chose, forgave, and included us in your family. And so for this reason and and 100,000 more, your omniscience gives us reason to praise. Such knowledge is too wonderful for us that you know us completely and you love us comprehensively. And so we rest in your goodness, in your faithfulness. We rest knowing that you do have a plan for our lives. If you're here this morning and there is a particular hurt 
on your mind and heart that has come to mind as I've been speaking this morning, just in your mind's eye, just hold it out in your hands before God. He already knows it completely. Lord, you see the hurts of your people. You know, you know what they've lost, what's been taken from them, the hurts that they've endured. Would you come even now, Jesus, and begin a work of healing? Healing bitter memories. Healing harsh words. We also know, Father, that you see all of our hidden sins. Nothing is hidden from you. Even the darkness is as light to you. And so those things, too, that are on our minds and heart right now, we just, we hold that out before you and we confess we are a broken and sinful people. We can't transform ourselves. So Jesus, would you come even now and just once again forgive us, your people. Wash us and cleanse us. Be at work in our desires so that we would desire what's right and good. Think what's right and good. Speak and live what's right and good. Cleanse us, we pray. And then, Lord, we, we just ask, would you use our life as a part of your greater plan to bring honor to the name of your Son, to bless the people we live with? God, my desire for Mission Creek Alliance is that this would be a place, a people that are filled with the Holy Spirit, transformed from the inside out, and who are loving radically, generously, the people in the city of Kelowna. May this church be known for this kind of transformation and for this kind of love in our personalities, in our vocations, in our friendships, in our families, Lord, wherever we are, may our lives reflect the goodness and the beauty of Jesus in a way that brings transformation to people who don't have hope. So, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we love you. We bless you. Our hands are open. We need you. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.